Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is Motley Full Money. Welcome to Motley Full Money and our very last episode for 2022. Some would say a year that couldn't finish soon enough. Others who remember 2020 and 2021 realise that, unfortunately, the calendar's not going to change much if it doesn't change much. However, we wouldn't leave you without a podcast. I'm going to say we, I mean me, Scott Phillips, and him, Andrew Page Esquire, the managing director and founder of strawman.com. And I'm getting it, which, oh, bugger, I can't remember. What is it, Andrew? Oh, I thought you were going to say it. You actually almost <laughs> had me. Uh, we're a private online investment club. Surprise, as always. How are you, mate? Yeah, very good. Very good. Last- year. What a year Last it's been. podcast of the year. Mate, so I thought what we'd do, we thought what we'd do, is we'd have a little bit of a look back and then we'd start to think about, for those people who like their resolutions or just those who maybe should make resolutions, uh, just some ideas as to how to start 2023 off with a bang. We're not super big on resolutions here. I'll ask you about that in a second, mate. But uh, we thought just, just some things to think about as you go into the new year. Uh, one of the things that many people do is say, you know what, I'm going to do a better job with my money this year or next year as it turns out, but in two days' time, we're going to help you hopefully do exactly that. So let's start with a look back. 2022, I tweeted, I don't know if we're sure we talked about it, October, November last year, and I said something like, I hope we're not seeing the, uh, the movie of what we're about to go through. The US was suffering higher inflation in October, November last year. And at the time, the US Fed said, eh, it's transitory. And the RBA said, no, it was just an American problem, which in hindsight sound very, 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 very optimistic. Could have been right, by the way. Let's remember that in some parallel universe, they are exactly right. These things can happen. So we shouldn't with even the benefit a bro- of hindsight Even a broken only. clock, my friend. Exactly. Even a broken clock. We shouldn't with the benefit of hindsight give them too much grief. But I also think maybe we should have or could have seen it coming. Uh, through January to May, mate, uh, the markets seemed to expect it was coming. The falls in the stock market have been pretty consistent over the past 18 months or so. Let's go to, I guess, the the big story of the last 18 months, at least for investors, has really been the re... <sighs> Revaluation is probably the wrong way to put it because it makes it sound like it's more exact. But the... Re-rate. Uh, re-rate, re-rate is the technical oh, term. I hate that. The change in sentiment. <laughs> when it comes to businesses across the markets. The Australian market's actually done better than the US, as it turns out, because we haven't got the same number of growth and tech companies they've got. Australian market has held up. We're recording this just a little bit ahead of time, but I mean, yep. close enough not to much. the end to know the not Australian much. market has held up insanely well. It's like it's so not, the, even a, not even a correction, you know? So the ASX 200, we are, we are a bit ahead, so I'll, I'll say. It was, uh, we're recording to the 8th of December, so a bit, a bit of a uh, bit of theatre. Mate, down 5.3%. Less with date. dividends, adding dividends. Right, exactly. Yep. The S&P 500, by comparison, is actually down 18%. Well, look, at, look at the NASDAQ. Let me do that right now for you. <laughs> Miracle of modern no technology. NASDAQ, enter. Tell you what, talking about doing stuff in advance. Oh, let's give me the NASDAQ website rather than the NASDAQ 100. Bear with me. NASDAQ 100, there we go. It is off by 30.33% yeah. this year to date. Um Mate, what happened? So what happened was the the very quick arc of it is there was a lot of uh, inflation expectations, which mm-hmm. led to a lot of interest rate expectations, 
which led to a very serious <laughs> rethink about how businesses had been financed and funded and how they'd been valued in a in, in a in a very low interest rate environment other things mm. comparatively can look ex- extremely good <laughs> yeah when that when that changes so it's not like there was a a massive drop in corporate profits or anything like that it was just looking at the world or looking at the future through a different mm. Mm. Lens in terms of the cost of money, you know, the, right. the, the 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 risk-free rate of interest that I'm able to get. It's just like, you know, I'm I'm happy to buy something at fifty times earnings <laughs> if if I'm only going to get half a percent in the bank and probably negative in real terms. But if all of a sudden I'm buying a ten-year government treasury with maybe three or four or five percent on it, it's like, well, things look. The, the decision isn't quite as so straightforward. So that's that's basically what happened, which is why growth stocks got hit the hardest because when you do the sums on future cash flows. It's, it's mm. when the cash flow, the further out cash flows are, and then for growth companies and tech companies that are in the process of disrupting and building out new markets, et cetera, by definition, those earnings are well into the future. They get hit particularly hard by increased interest rates and increased, and by in turn, increased discount rates. So that's what happened. And I, I've noticed very definitely just in talking to so many managers in the small cap growth space is that. Um, the narrative used to be about in 2020, 2021, it was entirely about market capture and revenue mm-hmm. growth. No one really cared about if you were well-funded because money was just cheap. It was sloshing around, capture the market, gain dominance, gain scale, and then the profits will sort of come. The other thing that radically changed is that the focus now is 100% on cash flow because, that, because it's so much harder to raise capital. It's more expensive to raise capital. Um, so that that was a very big change to a market, which after several years had gotten eventually quite used to this so-called new normal of of, of higher multiples. Didn't last. So much to unpack there, mate. I'm going to start with. I'm going to get back to higher multiples and and what we're used to. Um, I just want to I want to double underline your point about the cash flows and the, and the time value of money because. This is one of those topics I want our listeners to really... You have to understand the algebra of it. Just, I want you to understand the idea behind it. To Andrew's point, um, it makes sense. If you can invest in something... If you, you know, any, any share is almost better than cash when it's paying 0.5%. Mm. When cash is paying official cash rate, 3.1%, as we know, this month, or maybe, you know, uh, when mortgage rates are higher, bond rates are lower, but, you know, that kind of number, all of a sudden, the, the, the return you might get, if you get a 5% return... When interest rates are zero, that's five full percentage points more. That's pretty attractive. Mm. If you get a 5% return when interest rates are 3%, you think, well, hang on, I could get 3% risk-free or 5%. Well, I mean, it's a bit more, but is that enough to take the risk? Maybe not. So that's that's the first thing. But the time value thing is even more important because let's take half a percent a year and let's roll that forward five years. I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna, help me out here. I'm not going to do the compounding, Andrew, because I just can't do it in my head. So let, let's just use simple maths for now. If it's 0.5% a year in five years, that's 2.5% you've given up. If it's 5% a year, in five years, you're giving up 25%. Now, the compound is even worse than that. It's probably closer to a third, but let's go with the simple numbers. 25% after five years. Now, that means if I had a dollar today, it's worth a dollar. If I get a dollar in five years' time, again, at half a percent, that's worth 97.5 cents. That's pretty good. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh if I have a 5% interest rate, again, using simple math rather than compounding, so it's worse, it's only worth 75 cents in five years' time. So all of a sudden, the value of that company is going to be profitable in five years' time. It's worth a lot less because I'm getting a lot less now because I have to wait so long and the cost of waiting expressed in that interest rate 
is much, much higher. So that's the key differential. What you what you said, Andrew, I just want to put some numbers around it just yeah. for, for our listeners yeah. who, who don't necessarily instinctively get the algebra. And that's why, that's not even the algebra, right? Because it compounds it worse than that. So it gets worse. But uh, at a very simple level, hopefully those numbers give you a sense of why it's so much worse in a high rate environment to have to wait for the money. It simply erodes faster with a higher rate environment. I think that's that's absolutely right, mate. Mm. I want to ask you about the focus on cash flows because I am torn. <laughs> uh, the market said to, to companies really obviously, you guys suck. We want you to focus on cash flows or we're going to mark your shares down. Some companies, most companies said, okay, 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 okay. Here, we're going to fire some people, stop spending on these things. Look, actually, here's some cash. And the market went, yay, you've been good boys and girls. Your share price can go back up now. A few said, no, get stuffed. We're going to do what we're going to do. And those share prices didn't recover quite as much. I have a suspicion there'll be winners and losers in both of those groups. Because if you look at, we used Amazon regularly last week. We'll do it again today. Uh, pick another one if you've got another one for me. Um, if Amazon, if Jeff Bezos has been told in 1999, hey, mate, look, I know you want to conquer the world, but can you just, can you just, can you just focus on cash flow from your bookshop, please? Amazon will probably be the world's biggest bookshop today, <laughs> but it might be only that. Amazon Web Services may not exist. All that other stuff may or may not exist. And so the idea of pandering to the market's short-term demands for cash flow, while it's great for the share price and probably keeps the CEO happy and it makes the fund manager meetings a whole lot more fun and more comfortable, I don't know, mate. What should should companies be like? Yeah, fair point. We'll give you some cash. We'll, we'll moderate some of this stuff. Some, by the way, we're going to send themselves broke if they didn't. So some, mm. some, you know, for some of those businesses, we talked about capital allocation last week. Some of those businesses have been absolutely saved from themselves by this. Others, yeah. though, the shareholders have been shortchanged. I think by the short-term demands of the market. Yeah, I mean, trends come and go in terms of what the market tends to demand. And I get firsthand experience of, of many managers making this comment exactly to me. Oh, yeah, the market's wanting us to do this or that now. Where I, my ears really prick up is when it's just like, well, it's never been. We don't really care what they thought was the important thing last year. And we don't care what the important thing is today. The important thing for us is that we've got this opportunity. And we think by investing this money, we're going to get a really good return on that. <laughs> That's, that, is, that is absolutely everything. Now, Com- a lot of companies aren't don't have that luxury where they have to walk a final line right. because they are a, a, a cash flow negative and they kind of rely on the ability to raise capital to sort of stay afloat. And the best place to raise capital is when the share price is high and everyone's in a good mood. It's much harder or, or frankly, much more expensive when it's down. So those, those companies have to walk a, a tighter line. Um, at the same time, investors shouldn't be too subject to the, to the fads of the market. To your point, if right now there is a company that is continuing to bleed cash, I know it's like it's a very it's a very horrible thing to sort of see and 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 hear today with what the market's demanding. But the real question is, well, what are they actually spending it on, and what's the return they're going to get? Because if that's if that's huge, um, then like by all means, take my money. That is always always the the consideration here. I mm. uh, yeah, I think that's uh, so. Were companies. Were companies right to be opportunistic or were they stupid to rely on the fact they'd always be able to raise money from the market? Oh, it was, so again, it's hard because there's averages, right? Probably, probably plenty that shouldn't have, shouldn't have done all this stuff and you know, experienced conditions that'll never return and never benefit them in the same way. I'm sure there is a lot of companies in, in that camp. Uh, at the same time, I mean, but there are plenty of examples the other way as, as well. So th- this is... This is a big part of what we often talk about. It's the art of investing is trying to identify those that are 
decent capital allocators that are going to we can trust right. with our our money mm. and that they will deliver it well because if if they do it they're the rainmakers that's what yeah. we're here for <laughs> i'm just thinking though about the investor who again you know i you know we all learn things after the fact right during covid we realized that having cash in the balance sheet and not needing, you know, um, if all of a sudden the whole work gummed up, having a bit of extra money was actually smart, right? Which sounds obvious in hindsight, but at the time the business was so-called, you know, lazy balance sheets with too much cash, they get yeah, sent to the- punished to the, for it, yeah. Right, and those who didn't were like, oh, such a great, really efficient business. Until like Webjet, they have to double their share count just to stay alive. Now, yeah. could they have predicted it? Probably not. Should they have been a bit more, con- a bit more conservative? Probably, yeah. Um, on the other hand, as I said, those businesses that, you know, we, or I say we as a group of investors, some investors had chosen to assume that a business model was going to always work. And I'm trying to work out whether that's, you know, the assumptions that we make. This business, yeah, okay, look, it's going to have, it's, 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 running, it's running at a cash, cash burn rate. It's going to have to raise more capital. That's okay. We expect that. That was, the, that was what we might have said, you or I or anybody else might have said mm. two years ago. Now it's like, well, I was, I, I, they can't raise capital. They have to run for cash. And so we need to change our expectations. I'm trying to work out whether we were too optimistic, whether we were too blasé. And again, we as a group, not you and I, um, whether investors were too blasé about it. And, and maybe I guess why I'm asking is because it was cash that was king in 2000. We should have maybe assumed that. Businesses that were running on the edge of don't worry about it. We'll, run, we'll, we'll burn some cash. We'll raise money when we need to. That was probably, in hindsight, at least a very a riskier strategy than we knew, or than we believed, or that we that we let ourselves think. The hubris yeah. of of rising share prices kind of brought us to our knees. And I'm I'm I wonder if that's true. But also, then I guess my question for you is, what's the next one? Yeah, I mean, when the music's playing, people are going to get up and dance, right? right. And, and it's it's. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, you've always got a plan for that rainy day, and some some will have yeah. benefited from doing so, and others others wouldn't have. But I, I I always come back to the point of, I'd I'd I'm more than happy for managers of my companies to forego additional gain, yeah. if it's going to a, a avoid substantial risk. Mm. <laughs> Do you know, I think I think, and this is this is all part of the art of it. You know, you you have to balance opportunities against their risk reward versus you know the upside as well yeah. as the downside. So it's an art. I've got I've got no easy answer for you, mate. I only other than other than saying that it's it's definitely a thing. <laughs> um, but but again, I, I also come back to that point that you you can adapt and change. And it's mm. you get to a point. You start off with a forecast, right? You have to forecast things, but then you can now cast in the sense that you can you can check reality against prior mm. expectations. Mm. Yeah. And you can a, 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 a adjust to to all of that. So none of this stuff is is foreseeable, um, but but you know, like Bruce Lee said, be like the water. <laughs> you can you can the, the errors are always the the um, uh, trying to make reality fit your preconceived mm-hmm. view of things. You, you've got yeah. to sort of try and see the lay of the land as it is, as it truly is. You've got to have some reasonable expectation as to what's going to happen. You lay your bets. But then, but then you get lots of feedback, heaps of feedback, and that's what's so different about every other sort of pro- probabilistic in, endeavor. Or you know, there's the classic dice games and casino games. You get you get feedback that you can adjust on. And as, as we said before, it's this whole probabilistic way of thinking 
that is, I, mean, I think it's actually, frankly, a bit of a superpower if you, if you can if you're going to look at it through uh, through that lens. Mm. So take me to before we go forward. Take me back. Were we wrong to pay up so much for some of these growth companies twelve months ago? Should we have known differently? Were we taking too much risk? Were we, if we couldn't have known differently, were we were we misbalancing? Misbalancing is no word, but it is now. Uh, yeah, misbalancing the risks. I mean, I definitely look at some of the companies I was holding then, and now in the cold light of day, think, yeah, I really should have taken some money off the table because yeah. I mean, I, I was riding high at that point because it's yeah, like, same. gosh, it was the end. It, 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 things had just exploded for the kinds of companies that I'd liked. And it, it, you kind of look at it and go, oh, geez, that's a bit expensive. But, you know, I'm here for the long term, right? right yada, yada, yada. And mm. you just then FOMO kicks in, all the usual behavioral kind of stuff. So with the benefit of hindsight, I, I do think, A, I should have, and B, yes, it were objectively more expensive. <laughs> mm. But I've also learned the, the, the other lesson, which is a, I think probably a more painful lesson, which is thinking, oh, it's a little bit expensive, I'm going to take some money off the table. You're too clever by half and irrational things may be, they can still get doubly irrational <laughs> over a very extended kind of period. So I've, I've, I've learned to have, if I have to choose two unattractive, unappealing paths, I'll go with the one of like having to suffer big drawdowns, but definitely being on the train. <laughs> and, and, and I think it's painful, it sucks, but it's, it's, it always comes back to the quality of the actual asset, the thing that you own. So yeah, could have, would have, should have. But as I said to you before, you know, it always sounds like you're trying to rationalize the losses. But when I, I when I look at my portfolio of companies, by and large, on any reasonable objective measure, the, the businesses themselves have improved. They're stronger, larger, more sales, you know, maybe not as good as expectations in some cases and others, but the, the, the business is not fundamentally deteriorated. It's improved. It certainly hasn't it's dropped. 30%. And maybe, I know your point is, well, maybe it was, it was expensive to begin with. And maybe that's all true. Mm. But I'm, I'm just happy to be on those trains. And I, I <laughs> want to try and be more aggressive when they're, they're more attractive. Mm. Mm. And I'll just, I'll just live with the fact that sometimes I'll be wrong. Sometimes I'll have to change course. Sometimes I'll suffer b brutal drawdowns. But at the same time, the lesson from history tends to be, it's like, find a really attractive business and, and, and sit tight. It tends to be a pretty good um, approach. I think that's true. I think if you're not going to try and time your investments, then that's the only smart. I mean, as we said before, Warren Buffett says, "Time is go a friend of the exactly. Time is a friend of the wonderful business, the enemy of the mediocre. The yeah. longer the time you let the business do its thing, the better you're going to be." I do wonder, mate. As my thought, just rates were rates were unreasonably low and weren't going to go any lower. And if you've got the tide already in or the tide already out. Mm. we're probably it's probably reasonable to assume it's going to go the other way at some point um so i'm not sure that i wasn't too blase about some of that stuff was there any other option that's probably an open question honestly because as you say you either try and time the money, take your money out and try and wait and hope to get a better price and in the in the event uh for the asx you know down five percent probably flat with dividends was there a better time probably not for individual companies was there yeah could i sold something bought something else i guess would i have been right and timing and size and all that kind of stuff i don't know I don't know. The, in, in some version of the future or the past or the current present, uh, you know, maybe banks are down because properties crashed and maybe, you know, mm. the ASX is doing worse than the NASDAQ because those businesses that held up, the miners and the, and the banks had a very different 2022. I don't know. It's easy, easy in hindsight to look back and say what actually happened, whether we made the right um, decisions at the right time. I still don't. I'm not entirely sure. I'm not entirely sure. I don't know what else oh, I would have done. Well, you know, I, I don't suck, think... But, I, it, 
it, look, it's always valuable to reflect on decisions, but it's it's you can't beat yourself up over making a wrong decision if the if the pro, the decision making process was sound. Yeah, you know, there's being right for the right reasons and wrong for the wrong reasons, and you know, every combination of of, of that. But I, I think, yeah, you know, it, it's when it's when it's when you kind of. Playing the could have, would have, should have game is just a futile exercise. Reflecting on mistakes yeah. that should have been obvious and avoidable are very yeah. valuable and deserve reflection on. So, I mean, again, I don't want to look. I just I put it out there just because it helps illustrate the case, and I'll use the straw man one because it's it's public. Mm. Um, in, in that my since we spun that up the early version, it's actually five year anniversary was November twenty twenty two, and it's seventeen percent seventeen percent per annum mm. on on that. But as mm. I said, it's like down twenty five something thirty yeah. percent. Um, over the last year, and it's kind of like it's still. I mean, what, what, ask yourself, put it in a different tense, and say, well, what would I prefer going forward? Do I, mm, mm. in twenty thirty two, would I be happy if I generated twenty percent per annum or fifteen percent per annum or ten percent per annum? Say, mm. well, I'm always going to go the, the top one. Say, well, what if the cost of that is in the final year you have to suffer a thirty percent drawdown? Yeah, I mean, you kind of look at me sideways and go, yeah, but it's still that overall right yes like, yeah. exactly that's right yes that's, right. that's exactly the point if we didn't know yeah that's right yeah. yeah can i sell it a year early no you can't that's just that's just yeah. the kind of deal it is you have to go much higher and then pull back but if you still end up at a better spot and more often than not you you will as long as you're sort of consistent in, in your yeah. approach and you've got a sensible approach i mean it's it's the destination we always say that it's the journey not the destination with mm. investing it's mm. pretty much no it's the destination not, not so much the journey <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly i like that i yeah i oh. Given them, I, I think I think I think you're right. I think I'm you know I'm partly wanting to hold myself accountable, partly wanting myself a free kick and say it was all nothing. Nothing was knowable, so it's not my fault. Uh, I'm not sure what the I'm not sure what the answer is. I think the, the the path of interest rates in hindsight seems very very clear. I don't think 12 months ago we would have said eight straight increases, three percentage points added to interest rates in in you know seven months, uh, and 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 share prices falling accordingly. And I think that's probably had we known, I think I think if I'd known what we knew, which obviously it sounds stupid because you can't, but you know, the, the very maths we started with should have told me not to not you know to to favour profitable high you know um, lower low PE companies paying good profits now will sure. outperform those you got to wait for. That makes obvious sense, I think, in hindsight. Uh, but I don't think I, th- I hope I hope I'm not giving myself a free kick or, or being too being too soft on myself. I don't think we could have known how significantly that would change, uh, or as you say, mate, the timing of when is the right jump off the off the bus and on the bus. Yeah, um, yeah. And the lesson wanna, the lesson there yeah. is is we couldn't then. Yes. And we couldn't the time before that, and the time before that, and the time before that. <laughs> You're saying there's something so, in common to this. So there's there's that that's the, that's the take home message is again control what you can control, and, and and you can't control the mood of the market and the things that are going to come out of left field, and there's always going to be these periods. In fact, statistically, one year out of every three is backwards, and you know there's there's usually a very big crash correction every what is it 15 10 years 15 years something like that they're pretty common and there's plenty of pretty significant brutal corrections along the way it's just it's just normal that's that's the thing that i think to remember so it's like well i've certainly got a view on things but but i also need to be humble in recognizing that the history things are going to play out differently or have the potential to play out differently so i just i just want that anti-fragility uh element to my portfolio one that one that may get hit by by something but at least it's got some pretty good underpinnings to help help support it. Mm. I'm not sure if that is that anti-fragile. 
I'm trying to think that through as we talk. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I take your point, though. Yeah, that's, I think that's... Maybe that maybe it is the lesson, honestly. I mean, it's hard to say now. And I, I have a feeling we'll look back in two years' time and know more of the answers of 2022 because we almost must, always must by definition. Uh, but just that idea of, uh, you know, solid businesses in themselves. Prices will do what they do. As you say, regularly, most weeks, um, over time, price follows value, right? It just, yes. If you, if you continue to grow your earnings, then you're, you're in a pretty good place. It's also a reminder of what sort of, to know what sort of companies you own, right? If you own cyclical yeah. businesses, then you better know where you are in the cycle and you better know how much you're paying for those because that's a very different thing. Yeah. Uh, if, you, if you are buying a, a business with secular growth, i.e. non-cyclical growth, uh, then you can have a very different perspective i think on what that future might look like and how you might get there it's also worth i don't know there's value in gray hair right so those businesses that are have managed to have been around for a while or have been seen some different things i'm thinking actually for what it's worth of, of business like soul pats or brickworks that have been through god knows how many cycles and, and kind of you know, i own both those by the way uh, and kind of come out the other side with with a you know they're not going to be the most exciting businesses in the world but you'd be pretty sure they know what they're doing they've seen it before they're going to keep doing what they're doing and focus on the stuff that matters and that's as you said before you want managers focused on on improving the business fundamentals that's mm. kind of the key the key one for me yeah, and you can only, look. You just got to remember, you can only deal with now, and the past is mm. largely should be largely irrelevant to your decision making. And I always like to say it, but you've just blinked into existence. Yeah. you've got a certain amount of capital at your disposal. What mm. do you do with it? And it's you know, we sometimes feel bad that we've changed our mind. Changing your mind is one of the most important things that you you can do. Yeah. So a year ago, take your take the current example. A year ago, we were dealing with. I had a bunch of companies that I I really liked. And the market told me I was a genius and they were all flying super <laughs> high. And I had a bit of concern that, you know, prices are up there, but, you know, I'm, I'm happy with everything. And where was that a right or wrong decision? It was a decision I don't, I'm not going to lose any sleep over because everything seems to be more or less playing out, mm. even though there's been some brutal volatility sort of <laughs> along the way. But, but my point is, is that today the decision set is different. In fact, it's actually a lot more interesting because they're the same kind of companies in many ways much better off and at now mm. a much cheaper price. So I'll play the cards that I've got now in the manner that's appropriate to now. Um, again, the long-term arc of, of expectation mm -hmm. hasn't really changed for these businesses. Did I factor in an yeah. exact recession or slowdown? No. Now, no, but kind of thought one would probably come along sooner or later. Mm -hmm. um, and then, in a, as, as you say, in, in two years' time, we'll know what we know then. But, well, then I'll, then I'll play the cards that, that are appropriate at that point in time to play. Whether or not the decision I'm making now or I made a year ago was right or wrong, it never really should feed into that. It's just like you can pivot and you should pivot when, whenever the evidence tells you to pivot. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. All right, that's enough looking backwards. Let's look forwards. What's going to happen on the ASX next year? <laughs> I wish I... I, I, my favorite prediction of all time is uh, it will fluctuate. <laughs> that was actually JP Morgan. Which that was who, actually... For those who followed your quotes for, for a while, most quotes seem to be JP Morgan. That actually was, which is impressive. That actually was him, yeah. <laughs> it will, asked by a journalist, what will the market do next year? He said, it will fluctuate. And it's, it's, the, best, it's the best kind of um, forecast. It's accurate. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, that's, I think that's right. So if the market's going to fluctuate... What are we going to ask you? I want to ask you. I want to ask you what you expect. What will be the big opportunities for investors? 
What do you think? If you look at the market now, you look at shares now, and you think, okay, where are where are you seeing most value? Where should our listeners be looking for value as we go into twenty twenty three? Yeah, I mean, again, you just you, you play the cards that are going to be dealt with you, and you, you just look around at what there is now. And I think it, you try to avoid the the game of second guessing when the maximum point of value will be, but just more recognizing that there is value there. Um, so I actually think that there's some there's some good pickings out there right now. Um, okay. Maybe there'll be even more opportunities in six months' time, <laughs> or later on down the track, or maybe these will get more attractive. I, I, I don't know, but I just I just come back to first principles. I I do know that if they continue to perform, then uh, then sooner or later it will out. What? Uh, where are the where are are there other thematic opportunities? Are there particular things you're yeah. seeing that are that are, is there are there pockets of of things you know like that? They share some similar traits. I tell you what I really like. It's sort of it's always sort of hard to define, but there's things that definitely stick out to me. I like companies that are bringing a structural change to an industry, mm. and they've they've actually they've come up with something that's like ten x better, mm. and they're one of the early leaders. They've gotten proven commercialization, proven sales, strong momentum with a reasonably Mm. large market opportunity in front of them. Mm. I think that's just such a lovely setup because it's kind of, again, you can can avoid a lot of the, you know, navel gazing and speculation to what could be possible, actually Mm. seeing evidence of it starting to play out. Mm. And- and I, th- I think there are a lot of opportunities in, in that space. You know, whether it's, I'll, I'll throw, I'm happy to throw some names out. We mentioned recently Ava Risk Group. They're doing different things mm. in terms of perimeter detection and they've got some cool tech. It's a niche industry, cool. but, a, but, a, but a large one, right? And I think they, they continue to, it seems at least, to, to, to execute mm. well and it'd be a very sound business. You know, I bought some shares in LaserBond uh, not too long ago as well, an comp- Aussie company that sort of um, helps strengthen mechanical uh, apparatus, et cetera, et cetera, and lots of, lots of good tailwinds there, lots of good customers, a good market position, profitable, you know, they're just, they're out there. And they, I think, I think at this point in time, at, at least they've, there's a mixture of coming back because they deserved to come back because everything got a little bit hot, um, but also being weighed down unfairly by, by some of the wider sentiment. Mm. And I think, Again, you, you, you avoid, as I come full circle, avoid trying to think where is the best possible place to buy, but is it just not decent enough now? Yeah. I mean, if I told you just for the sake of argument that Ava Risk Group was going to be a dollar in five years' time, and you yeah. look at it now yeah. and you go, okay, it's about 22 cents, give or take. Yeah. And what do you do with that information? Like, well, you, you buy the shares. <laughs> you buy the shares. It's going to be a dollar. Yeah, I'll buy the shares. You don't say, oh, but what if it goes to 10 cents between then? Yeah. And now it's like, well, I yeah. guess if that happens, you buy some more. But the value is there, yeah. right? So so just buy the damn thing and would have, should have, could have. You, mm. you can't agonize over that stuff because you'll never pick the bottom. Yeah, yeah. I um, I think there are, I, I think I've said, I'm sure I've said before, I have a bit of a contrarian bone in my body um i'm always happiest when everyone else is pessimistic because <laughs> mm-hmm. i yeah i'm optimistic long term whenever else is optimistic i'm optimistic i'm like that feels a bit uncomfortable to me right but whenever mm-hmm. else is miserable I'm like no i think i think we'll be right i think we I think things are good the future will be bright we haven't hit the peak of of human endeavor we haven't reached the peak of of value creation or idea generation or, or problem solving we will find new ways to, to do more things that that that's my happiest place when i'm i'm the optimist in a room full of pessimists um so I, I think for me, I, so I tend to, I tend to, I'm not a value investor per se at all. Actually, most of my investments aren't. Um, but I, but I look around at some companies. I think, man, like I, we mentioned retail the other week. Uh, JB Hi-Fi and Harvey Norman on single-digit PEs. I just, mm. I, I, I could be completely wrong. 
I just cannot understand a scenario in which that's not spectacularly good value. Like, you just, you just look at it and go, well, you know, what has to go wrong for that to be fair value, let alone overpriced? Um, so I think, I think the risks are right there. So I'm going to flag that as one area of opportunity. I think to your point, mate, um, the recovery of some of these businesses, I think, is likely share price-wise. So mm. to your point about, you know, um, uh, you know, price following value, I think uh, there's still a lot of pessimism in the market, particularly under the the surface you know the old the old duck uh, metaphor of the duck on top of the water doesn't look what's going on there's lots going on underneath mm. um, as we said you know the u.s market's down 18 nasdaq's down 33 um i imagine the same is true in the australia i haven't looked at the tech index but i imagine it's down something similar yeah to the nasdaq uh and you think about some of those nasdaq companies that are down like you know google's and stuff it's like man really you know these are profitable strong businesses yeah, multiples uh, in the teens. Oh, and you just think, I mean, look, I, you know, I, I own Google shares for the record. Um, and, uh, Apple's probably the same. I don't own Apple, so I don't know the numbers. A PE ratio of 19 for, for Google. Um, it's a business growing. Facebook is single digits. Yeah. Apple's 23. There you go. Um, I, I just, I, I really, really struggle to think of a scenario under which Google, the world's premier, you know, search engine business, advertising content, the whole box and dice, um, yeah, you know, it, it's this was and this look not the past needs to matter. This is one hundred and fifty dollars stock now under one hundred bucks, so it's fallen by a third. I think is that really likely to be you know a moderate, a mediocre performer in the next ten years? I doubt it. So mm. I think there's a lot of now. I don't want to talk U.S. stocks necessarily. Even in Australia, I think there's a lot of companies that are really just yes, they might have been too expensive to start with. So don't just focus or anchor on past prices. Uh, I would I would imagine that there is value to be had. I'm not saying it'll roar back or that it'll, growth will be necessarily in the ascendancy next year. I just think if you buy, to your point, mate, think of, think of a five-year view and say, will I be happy to have bought these companies, these prices? I reckon there's some opportunity there. Um, and ironically, if that does happen and the banks fall and the, and the tech stocks rise, the market could actually go down and you can still make money. <laughs> so oh, there's, yeah. you know, there's, as you've said many times, we're not investing in the market. Uh, and so you know, there's times where people say, oh, I wasn't investing terrible in 2022. The market was down. I'm not saying it will yeah. be. In 23, sorry. Maybe the market isn't down. Maybe it is, but uh, individual- See, I'm, more, I'm actually down. more pessimistic on the big end of town, frankly. Right. I look, especially Why is the, that, mate? What's the, the, what's the motivation there? I think I've talked to- I, I think there's there's disruption and challenge coming to the financial right. sector and all, all the other areas that we talked about as well, just in terms of the chat GPT and all, all of that kind of stuff. So I I, I feel as though- my my big picture kind of view is that it is more actually a, a tougher time economically. There's just huge debt bur- right. burdens and budgetary pressures. It's just it's just fact. It's just it's just what it is, and all that has to be serviced and all that has to be sort of kept going. But I feel and there's also big geopolitical sort of moves underway with Ch- China on the rise and and the US on the decline. I think that all plays into it as well. I think what you see is. Um, more local, more onshoring of manufacturing. I think you see a lot of government mm. stimulus, but driven more on, on the investment sort of angle. So I'm, I'm kind of, I, I think there'll be companies that do well in, in all of those spaces. It's, it's uh, but, but overall, I can just see the wider economy being mm. pretty, un- pretty unimpressive. It's going to be pockets of, of explosive growth, <laughs> some other pockets of okay-ish growth, and then a long tail of just, yeah. Mm. I, I think, so the only thing I want to mention actually comes beautifully off your point, which is secular growth can happen regardless of economic circumstance, 
which is kind of exactly what you just said, but but a couple of examples. So I, have I used the FlexScript example before? I probably have. Um, these are the guys that were doing interest-free loans back before buy now, pay later, the old, you know, the Harvey Norman 48 mm. months interest-free stuff. And during the GFC, they grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. And it wasn't that spending wasn't going backwards, it was. It was, and you talk about, you know, disrupted or the disruptor. These guys were just simply doing something different. They were convincing more people to use their services at a greater rate than the economy was going backwards. So, mm-hmm. you know, when you had a brand new product, a brand new idea, brand new concept, you say, great, here's the, here's the great new, you know, thing. It was, in this case, it was 48 months interest free. It was a new idea. After I obviously took that to the moon after that. But even then, they said, right, here's the idea. Um, we can keep growing right through this period because more and more people simply are saying, Harvey Norman's getting more customers. So you want your couch? You want interest free? Yeah, I'd love interest free. Great. Flexgroup mm-hmm. making a buck out of that. Apple kept growing right through the GFC. Not because mm-hmm. it was a small company growing, although uh, think about, you know, 13 years ago, it was a much smaller business in terms of number of iPhone sales, for example. But it kept growing. Why? Because it was convincing people, despite the circumstances, to upgrade their phone. And I think there's real opportunity there, which is exactly what you just said, mate. But, it's, you know, we can make the same point just with some examples that looking at some of those companies and saying, who will keep growing despite the circumstances? You don't need to. If you're a bank or you're the banking sector, you're going to get what the banks get. You know, you're going to you're going to be the economy plus or minus credit growth. That's all you can do. And maybe you take half a percentage point off there. You know, market share off them, and you know, comms that go up, veins that go down, uh, all that kind of stuff. I think that's the you know by little bits. But if you're in a growing business that grows inside a sector, I'm I'm mess- I'm not going to mention the company's name because I don't want to drink again. But whether it's whether it's this company or just or just generally. You know, even at the moment, we're seeing, you know, Maya online sales up 33%. JB Hi-Fi, Premier Investment sales up 20 plus percent. So I, one of the things I think we're missing at a, at a total level right now is the growth in online retail. We all mm-hmm. kind of think it's happening, we all kind of know it's happening. I'm not even talking about the, the, the online specialist here, I'm just talking about generally. The, the growth in online commerce continues to grow unabated. And yes, if, if retail sales go backwards, they probably will. Those businesses with online, online operations, big online operations, will almost certainly continue to grow and grow at decent rates. So thinking about who will do better or best or still grow despite some challenge, I think is a really good way to try and find some opportunity that may be missed by the market at the moment. Yep, that, that's, I mean, that's, it's that hor- horrible hackneyed phrase, it's a stock picker's market, but you know, <laughs> kind of always is, right? You you're, either, you're either an indexer or you're a stock picker and that's, that's I exactly hate that phrase, it. but you're right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's <laughs> an important one. Um, I so I, let, let's let's think about then for our listeners. If you got a couple of tips up your sleeve, things that you would tell them to think, to do, to be, to try, to change as we go into a new year. I I just think it's a it's always a <laughs> sounds a bit airy fairy, but it's always a journey. It's always an ongoing process, never stops. I think repeat myself again, but I think it's just being curious. <laughs> you know why why is it like that? You know, how's that going to change? It's ultimately what the questions you're asking are. Um, so, yeah, stay curious, read, read some more, ask the dumb questions, look for the right answers, you know. Um, and I, I guess when it comes to be a bit more practical with it, once you've once you've been bitten by the bug, you know, and you feel like, I want to invest, this is fun, I get this. And I think anyone listening to this podcast is probably nerdy enough to sort of be in that, be in that camp. Um you don't you don't have to play your play your hand straight away, right? You can you can slowly get involved with this and build up your confidence over time. Dip the toe in mm-hmm. the water, get more serious about it. But just keep learning. Understand that you'll make mistakes. 
recognize the mistakes for what they are. Don't make them yeah. again. Just <laughs> iterating on that process alone, yeah, you're just right. gonna you, you're gonna you're gonna stumble your way to the to the right path. And just yeah. staying staying humble, frankly, and always and always just doing it to an extent where you're very very resilient, such that even if worst set of circumstances tend to happen, and you mm. know everything, you your whole net worth drops fifty percent, <laughs> that you're okay. Yeah, yeah. That you can, or at least your investable amount is down fifty percent. That you're okay. That you've not jeopardized any sort of more important things in your life. And um, yeah, yeah. And 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 what what else can you say? You know, don't don't be greedy. Mm. It's far it's far better to sort of go for something that's a lower return, but a far more likely return. You can do insanely well with a ten percent annualized return you know you don't have to shoot for the moon and yeah. and um yeah i don't know i'm saying this is the hard thing about a bloody finance podcast is you just repeat yourself <laughs> again and again and again but it's true there's nothing yeah. there's, there's nothing new under the sun with, with all of this kind of stuff there's just there always is. that temptation that there's a better way there's an edge i know something i've got this here's a ticket that's mm. that's always the fight so let me ask you differently then if you think about the year ahead what are you going to do differently or more of or concentrate on or focus on or try and get better at? Um, do you know, I'm, I'm kind of at the stage where the focus- You're already very good. To, I'm, is, I'm, 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 I'm perfect. I've got nothing left. No, God knows so much to learn. I've always, I've always thought like when I look back in 10 years, I'll look back at what I'm doing now and go, oh my gosh, how <laughs> was I? Um, but I think, I think once, again, I've been doing this for a- couple of decades now like you really do tend to sort of buy into it i think you mm. kind of have to and at, at that point the focus always tends to be on maximizing the amount of cash i can sweep into these investments i just i want that money to work for me <laughs> and so it's kind of like once you understand how the engine works and you feel as though you've got a pretty decent engine i didn't want to i just want to feed it fuel i just want to it's that whole fire mentality you know financial independence retire young i do like let's feed this beast and let's let's grow it because as we know returns matter a hell of a lot but the other yeah. massive massive swing factor is the amount you put at it so it's just that's yeah that's that's what i'm trying to do nice so save a bit more money yeah just and just just keep at it you know mm, nice one I um uh, for me, mate. I am going to try to continue to recalibrate. I mentioned this before. So I'm sorry to go back to it, but my approach to risk and reward. I have, as an investor, largely gone with safer investments where I felt I had more information and less downside risk. I've I've, and I think there's anything wrong with that necessarily. Um, certainly if you're a conservative investor, that makes a whole lot of sense if you're someone who doesn't like that. The irony for me is that I've never met someone who's been particularly uncomfortable with volatility or with risk, right? So at a portfolio level, ironically, I've got a, I've got a you know, you know, I've said, our shares are down, we have different shares, but our shares are down, you know, um, 20 plus percent in, in 2022. Um, but when I look at individual companies, I tend to sort of say, oh, I don't know, so I won't. And so I kind of have a very high bar for knowledge or certainty or something else where I don't think think it can necessarily exist i've said that this is not new by the way it's, mm. it's an ongoing process for me because whenever i look it's like oh i'll buy some more soft patch shares you know it's just it's the easiest thing in the world to do because it's smart and they're going to do really well they've got a great long-term track record of beating the market by the way like there's no there's no harm in doing that I'll, i've done very nicely thank you very much but the just the idea of sort of trying to think through where to go next what the what the next best um investment idea is and I, i've always kind of you know, diverted to the safer options, the one I've known best, that kind of stuff. And I think that 
again, ironically, if I was doing it for mother-in-law, it'd be a perfect portfolio. But given my given my stated and I think reasonably justified tolerance for risk, I'm not taking enough uh, in terms of individual companies. I, you and I have talked about lots of businesses. We had a, a very good conversation off air a few weeks ago about exactly this, where we said, you know, you said, what, what if I told you this and this and this? I'm like, yeah, well, I don't know if I can trust that's going to happen, so I'm not going to do it. But what if it does? Yeah, but what if it doesn't? And that's kind of you know that that's the that's the ever present conversation for uh, for every investor. You have to find your own place there. Um, mm. But it does strike me that I've prioritized when I've done my actual stock selection, prioritized the safety despite at a portfolio level being very comfortable with having winners and losers and all that kind of stuff. So it's just, a, it's been an interesting mm. experience for me to think that through. And so for this year, I'm going to try and do a bit more of that, just try and maybe move myself up the, again, not 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 temperamentally, but the actual actions I end up taking. There's a, there's a real disconnect there. So I'm going to try and have a, a better go at that in future. Yeah. I, what's helped me on that front has been thinking thinking along the lines of, things like expected value, which we've touched on yeah, in previous yeah. episodes. I mean, it sort of takes a more of a, a clinical, mathematical kind of view of things. But I guess there's, for, for me, it's like I'm I'm really, ha- I actually don't consider it that as risky as, as it is traditionally, mm-hmm. but I'm really happy to go to some of those more speculative slash risky places because yeah. the upside can be so substantial on it. And I think you can handicap the odds to some extent by just um, mm. uh, being driven by unfolding real-world events <laughs> that you can continue to gain more and more confidence within leg up. I think where it seems to me like where you struggle is you look at something and I think you very rightly reach a conclusion like, well, you just can't say at this point in time. Yes, and like, exactly. that's, that's, yes, yes. that's true. That's exactly, that's exactly true. Where I differ is I go, but I guess I see that this is a possibility and until the evidence points to the contrary, I'll give it that benefit of the doubt. Now, there's a spectrum mm. along there. It's not like, oh, well, it's one in a million chance it could happen. <laughs> like, you'd have to still think yeah. there's a reasonable chance that it will, will happen. Yeah. But let's say you start off that and we go, and then we go on our merry way. Then we come back and we chat to each other three months from now. <laughs> it's like, oh, it turns out that that company's sold a whole bunch more and they're mm. now generating cash. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's interesting. Um, maybe the market's reacted to that, but now I'm a lot more comfortable with it and- mm. Actually, things are really playing out, so maybe I'll double my investment in that. Or it's not working out, and I'll just I'll walk back a little bit from it. There's no, there's, there's, there's that, and there's no, no, no. I said that this could happen, and I'm gonna stick. I'm gonna stick with it no matter what happens. Mm. And I think I think it's it's not trying to trade in and out or, or anything like that. It's it's more about it's more about watering the flowers and weeding the weeds. Where I think too often as investors we do we do the opposite of that and just accept there's always going to be weeds that crop up. Just for the love of God, don't buy more of them and try and average down and water them, you know. <laughs> and then right. go, oh, there's a twenty percent profit That's over right. here. I'm going to take that and then cut the head yeah. off your flower. It's like no, the real art is just like saying no. I, this is and you 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 often have to get over those anchoring biases because mm-hmm. you are buying in at higher prices, but you're buying in at better risk return. Uh, asymmetries at this point it's like that's a higher price the upside isn't as great but the risk has gone down a hell of a lot and by the way the upside still looks pretty damn good mm. and and yeah i i think i think that's a way to you actually mitigate a lot of the risk because you, I, the, the risk i suppose is one is what you'll say is there's a death of a thousand cuts is just so what if i'm wrong like seven times out of eight and yeah. for all of them i suffer a 20 percent loss on the market before i mm-hmm. i've sort of 
walked away from that. And that, yeah. that is that is the potential. But that's that's why I think you you also heavily factor in that return asymmetry of it. Yeah. I want and come back to the expected value thing. I'm more than happy to take something that I think only take something on that I think has only a 30% chance of winning. Mm. If that when I multiply the upside from that 30% chance, it's far greater than the downside from the 70% chance of it not happening. And that's actually, it's a useful framework to thinking because it's it's kind of like, well, if I play that bet, statistically enough, I'm going to come out in front. That's the purpose of the expected value calculation. Um, I have a question for you just to finish us off. Uh, It's actually not about next year, although it could be. Um, I, that, that... uh, the way you th- you explain that is a really interesting one. It's one I, I'm a long term investor. I've I think I've said you checked. I've sold like five times in the last seven years or something stupid. Like just really, really, really rarely. Um, so I'm likely to kind of you know I I, I, I describe myself as being slow to buy and slower to sell. Right? If I, if I find a good business, I'm, I'm, I want to hold it for a long time because you know if I if I've done the research right, there's every chance it'll play out. Now I I prioritize proven quality so to to do that. <laughs> You talk about an approach which plenty of other investors have actually, which is giving companies relatively short rope and relatively, you know, not much chance of downside. I'm curious as to how you think about the occasional misstep and actually selling out of something that actually has more potential versus keeping on a short leash going like, you know what, you you don't, you only get one chance. You screw it up, I'm out. I'm just curious, how how do you, how do you, given your approach to investing, how do you, how do you play that? Because I've been kind that's of like, hard. okay, well, that's not like Kogan. Okay, I mean, Kogan's a great example, right? Mm. Inventory, inventory problems, okay, that sucks. Supply chain issues, okay, that sucks. Extra warehousing cost, okay, that sucks. So I've spent nine, 12 months, you know, bouncing along the bottom of this thing going like, surely they're going to get out of their own way at some point. I still think there's an opportunity there. So I've said, mm. well, I'm hanging on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see it through. Had I sold out at the first sign of trouble, I might have sold at nine bucks or five bucks or four bucks or something mm. higher than now and saved myself some money now. Holding on may well. If it goes back to $20, I'm a genius. If it stays at $2 for, you know, the next 14 years, I'm an idiot because I've, you know, lost money and there's an opportunity cost of not reinvesting that cash. How mm. do you think about how much rope you give some of these businesses that you talk about in that way? Oh, that's that's super hard because the, 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 the reality is, and anyone who's run a business knows this, is that the best laid plans are often laid to waste by <laughs> okay. just things out of left field, the black swan. It just, it happens all the time. So it's, the, the art is distinguishing between you know, the speed bump and and like a serious judgmental, uh, you know, an, op- an operational failure or, a, you know, leadership failure, something right, like right, that right. where you've just made a dumb decision and then you've made mm-hmm. it worse or you've been reckless or something like that. And that's that's the hard part. And the, the, the extra hard part of it is, is that you want to protect your ego. So you're always going to mm-hmm. err towards explanations that are more kind to you which is oh no this thing i just it just sort of happens and i have done that a lot where i've rationalized on certain companies but yeah it's it's yeah it comes down to, it comes down to judgment doesn't it mm-hmm. you don't have a rule as such you you kind of make a judgment call at the time i i think you've got to hold management to account to what they say right. um to a fair degree so if if they've made us if they've sort of outlined a certain path and direction and you've given it time to play and it's just clearly not playing out and ultimately it's just not being shown in the the fundamentals like you're not seeing extra sales at the very least or something or they said they'd rein in costs and it didn't and yeah yeah it's i mean it's it's really hard um you know my go-to example i mentioned this stock more than it deserves mentioning (laughs) but it's catapult right so i always liked i thought big market opportunity market leader yada 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 growing the top line near enough on 20 percent a year for the longest period of time and yet they've always struggled with costs and they're going to do this and they're going to change that. And 
It's all the, and then COVID got in the way and they're changing their sales model to a subscription. There's all these sort of things that always kicked that cash flow positivity down the road. And you think, well, that kind of sucks. And, what, and plenty of my <laughs> mates, who, plenty of early advocates for it did ditch it along the way. In fact, probably mm. were right in doing so. Mm. Um, but you've got to weigh it all up. And you know, and you think, yeah. well, the potential, it's still, it is still growing like the clappers mm. in terms of the recurring revenue, revenue that they're doing. They're still the market leaders. There's still a great opportunity, et cetera, et cetera. And there's new management and they get it and they're steering the ship in the right direction. So you can... <laughs> I don't know. People people will form different points of view, but that's the point, right? You you, mm. you take you take what what's happened and you you, anal- you analyze it and you hopefully do it objectively, and uh, you just you just got to be prepared to make make the exit out. When in doubt, exit out is probably a good good strategy because even if you reconsider and you think no, I was originally right, you can always buy back in. It's, yeah, it's, it's something, it's particularly if you're at a capital loss, there's no tax consequences either. Right? <laughs> That's right. And I've said not, before, not you will think bad. more. You will think more clearly when you don't own the shares. That's so true, uh, mate. Um, so you can, you can, you can do that. Yeah, nice. I like it, mate. That is a wonderful way to finish off. Uh, thank you for all of your hard work during 2022, mate. I have thank absolutely you. thoroughly loved doing the podcast with you, and I hope our listeners, I'm sure our listeners, have equally enjoyed it. Thank you to our listeners for spending a couple of hours a week with us. Occasionally a little bit longer than that, where we ramble too long. Uh, but we hope we've entertained, amused, and hopefully also enriched you, certainly helped you learn a bit more about investing, your own investing style, and maybe kept you a bit company along the way And what's been a, a pretty tough old year for those of us with companies that are probably considered growth businesses, the ones that maybe the market's not loving right now. If you've got a portfolio full of uh, oil and, and banks, you're probably saying what, <laughs> what, what market falls. The rest of us can tell you all about it over a beer or two over the Christmas period. But thank you for hanging out with us. We will be back as early as... This Sunday. This Sunday is next year. So, Andrew, as I uh, like to say to my young bloke, I'll see you next year. See you next year. Boom, boom. Yeah. And a happy new year, everyone. Happy new year. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under Financial Services Licence 400691.